all of my video ideas begin from me hearing something on a song. So I'm always going to start with at least one example. The first thing I will do is just scour my memory for other songs that might have that. So if it was, for example, songs in 7-4 time, I might off the top of my head be able to be like, oh yeah, Money, Pink Floyd, and Salisbury Hill, Peter Gabriel. And then I might be like, oh, I can't, I know there's more, but I can't think of them. And then it's a case of being a bit of a, like an online sleuth and just trying to find anywhere that people have also talked about this at some point. So I might search old message boards or Reddit threads. Sometimes on Spotify, someone's made a playlist where it's like songs in 7-4. Um, but then it's not even as simple as that because then half the time when you're on a message board or one of these playlists, the examples aren't of what they think they are. So this playlist of songs that are supposedly in 7-4, half of them won't be in 7-4. So you've got to really be like an investigator and get to the bottom of it. Find all I find all the best examples I can and then make the video. And then inevitably what will happen is 10 minutes after releasing the video, the top comment will be like, well, why didn't you mention this example? And I'm like, yeah, why didn't I mention that example? It's a perfect example. Hi, welcome back to the Keys Coach Podcast. My name's Adam, and if you play piano, keys, or synths, then you're in the right place. This is the podcast where I sit down with incredible musicians and talk about their journey in music. Today, we're chatting with David Bennett. Now, if you haven't seen his videos on YouTube, where have you been? He's got almost a million subscribers, and he's one of the best YouTubers out there for music education. He produces these incredible videos all about music theory and how various concepts are used in the songs we know and love. I think his videos are amazing and you've got to go and check them out. I've put a link in the episode description to his channel. In this episode, we chat about why finding the right teacher is so important when you're starting out on the piano. We chat about why it's vital to have a creative project on the go. David also gives us his top tips for generating new ideas on the piano and some ways you can get out of those familiar shapes and patterns. David is also a huge fan of the Beatles and we talk about why they are such a big inspiration on him and we also do a deep dive into YouTube and why it is such an awesome opportunity for musicians. Before we get into the episode, just a quick reminder that we've been releasing some new content over on YouTube. The latest video shows you three ways that you can spice up your chord progressions. There's also a free PDF ebook you can download and that takes you through every step so you can get those sounds under your fingers. I've put a link to that video in the episode description. Okay, let's get into it. Here is the conversation I had with the amazing David Bennett. David, thanks so much for coming on. Great to see you. Uh, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. No, it's good. I'm really excited to, uh, excited to chat with you. I've been um, like, I, for the people listening to the podcast, David's in here's like, I'm, this is your music room, right? This is where you do all your videos. So it's like a kind of a, oh, yeah, a room yeah. that I recognize. It's my studio that I wish was significantly bigger, but I get <laughs> as much in here as I can. Yeah, yeah. Whereabouts are you based? Are you based in, is it London you're based? I'm you? based in Brighton. So down sort of um, by the, the sea down from London. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love, I absolutely love Brighton. I think it's got such a great like scene. It's definitely somewhere I'd like to maybe live eventually. Yeah, it's got, it's got a great sort of alternative scene. So you might not see the biggest music artists, but you'll see some really interesting sort of just under yeah. the radar artists. Yeah, yeah, no, I love it. I was there last year, actually, for one of my friends. It was like a stag do type thing, but it was absolutely brilliant. It was great. I love it. So good. Um, well, yeah, I'm super excited to chat with you today. And um, I've got so much I want to ask you. I'm sure we're going to tap into like all your like YouTube stuff and all of this. Um, it's going to be great. Uh, but I wanted to start by just asking you about the piano, because I know that's the instrument you play. I know you play like a bit of bass and a bit of drums and a bit. But was the piano the first thing for you? Yeah, so I started um, taking 
traditional piano lessons when I was 11 years old. Um, and then after a year, just it, it, it wasn't working for me. Um, I'd picked up like a handful of things, like a major scale, a very basic yeah. piece, that sort of thing. Um, but then a couple of years later, um, a lot of my school friends were learning guitar. You know, at this point, I'm about 13. And I suddenly get really into music. So s simultaneously, I start self-teaching myself piano again, using what little knowledge I had as a sort of springboard, and also learning guitar at the same time. So I was learning them together. But what happened ultimately is, as I went through uh, and got older, I found there was more and more demand for piano players, keyboard players, and yeah. not so much demand for guitar, because there's just so many guitarists. So I naturally spent more time at the piano, and now it's by far my my main instrument what was it what was it about your piano lessons you didn't like what when you say like you, you didn't just gel with them what 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 why was that i think the problem was um we were learning pieces of music which i didn't recognize it was the classic you learn the syllabus of graded pieces and they weren't even particularly famous like you know classical pieces because they had to be simple and I, ironically I, I was a massive music lover, even at the age of 11. I really loved music. So if we had been learning some of my favourite songs, I think I really would have ran with it. But the, the particular teacher I had, I don't I didn't think it matched my, my style. So later when I realised, oh, I can just learn what songs I want, I just hit, hit the ground running. It is so hard, that, isn't it? Because that's exactly basically what happened to me. I had, a, I had such a similar thing. I was kind of forced down this route. That was, that was so not me, the whole classical piano thing. It was just like it couldn't have been further away from what where I was at. I wanted to play stuff by ear, and they were. It was like literally trying to put like a what's that expression like a peg in a round hole, you know, yeah. square in a round hole. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I just wanted to play. St so were you working mostly by ear and that kind of thing? Was that more what you wanted to do? Yeah. So um, the only thing I got out of my one year of lessons, which which was valuable, was a basic understanding of how to read notation. So that meant I could sort of download free notation off the internet. And I could go through and, you know, I couldn't sight read it, but I would write in the notes with pen. Um, so that was helpful. But also, as you said, I was developing my ear as well. And, and soon enough, I realized that it can often be easier to learn a song by ear than find the sheet music and sift yeah. through it. Exactly. No, totally. And also when you download the sheet music of a song, you're learning the person that has arranged that song's version. If <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah. Rather than... Yeah. And, and that took me many years to realize that, well, you know, when, when you download a, p a particular piece of sheet music, it may not be exactly what you're expecting. Totally, totally. It's hard, isn't it? Like if you if you had someone come up to you, like I imagine when well, we talk about your YouTube stuff, but if someone who watches your YouTube and is like, oh my God, David, I just want to like learn piano. What would you say to them? <laughs> like, how would you tell them to do it? Would you be, what, what, what would you say? It's like such a hard thing. Because mm. I've, had, I've had people come up to me and ask that and I kind of don't, I don't know what to say because if they get the wrong teacher, yeah, that is kind of quite difficult, right? I think ultimately, people will make more progress if they have a teacher. As you said, like the right teacher will make a big difference. Um, but any teacher, I think, will get them over that initial bump of of starting. But I think if you can get to a point where you can watch YouTube tutorial videos on how to learn songs, and you know, with that very transparent format that a lot of them do, with the notes falling from the top. Um, if you get to that point, you understand, like, you can ident identify C on the keyboard, that sort of thing. Then from there, you can kind of just start learning songs. But it would it's always helpful to have some sort of guide, a good teacher to sort of suggest, oh, maybe you should learn this piece or maybe you should do this. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's so important. 
And it's the it's the ear as well, being able to hear hear stuff as well, isn't it? That's that's what's so important. Mm. And like being able to transcribe stuff and yeah, no, so so interesting. So what was like your next stage? So you were kind of you were playing at school in bands, you're doing some guitar, you kind of went back to the piano. Where did it then go from there? Were you kind of playing in other things outside of school as well? So the thing that I was really passionate about, uh, and am still today, is songwriting and composing. That was what I loved most about music. Um, so my aspiration at the time was to be a songwriter. So I had a band, we did my songs, and going through you know school and college and then on to university, that was sort of my uh, my target. But during my time at university where I studied music, um, I studied at a place called BIM in Brighton, which is um, a more modern sort of... Um, um, sort of industry-focused music education. Um, during that time there, that's where I, you know, so so often people were coming up to me because they, uh, they needed a keyboard player and there were so few keyboard players there. And I started realizing there's all this opportunity for keyboard playing and, and, I, and the songwriting took a bit of a back seat and I started getting right. involved in loads of different projects and sort of being a bit of a go-to keyboard guy. And it's really it's only very recently that i've come back around full circle to songwriting and later this year i'm finally going to release some songs for the first time in in a very long time yeah 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 no i saw that on your website i can't wait to ask you about well I mean, let's just chat about that now actually that's that let's just do it now what um because i saw you've been recording at livingstone studios right yeah i love livingstone studios so good yeah have you been there yeah, I've done a few projects there. It's like they've got a really nice piano yeah. and a really nice live space. So for everyone, this well, actually, David, why don't you explain a little bit about Livingstone Studios because well, they're just so good. I I've struggled over the years. I've I've been playing piano. I've often struggled to find a studio with not only a good piano but who know how to record it well because the piano can be quite a finicky instrument to record because you know it's got so many different strings, all the different hammers. It can be quite noisy as well, like the pedal noise, all, loads of little things to think about. So it can be such a pain in the ass, but um, a friend of mine who's a songwriter, he recorded at Livingston and he said how good the piano is. And I heard his tracks and I thought, yeah, let, let's do that. And I, I went there a couple of weeks ago and yeah, I was really pleased with the results. So I think I will be making a return visit there soon enough. So good. And so are these songs that you're, are you, you're playing and are you singing as well? So I have other, other singers on them. So I've, I've never right. been the strongest singer. Um, I would yeah. love to be a stronger singer, but I realized years ago that songs are, are, are done best with a right, the right singer to suit them. Yeah. So I've started working with a couple singers um, and yeah, they, it's going to be a four song EP, all the original songs. Um, and yeah, it, I'm really excited to really excited to share it with, with my audience. That's going to be so cool. Mm. Is it just so literally just piano and voice, or are you going to like add some extra other uh, there are other elements in there as well? Other elements as well, yeah. So um, they're, they're fairly fleshed out. There's, there's some songs have got drums and bass and guitar, and there's some cello and horns, and there's all sorts of stuff. Um, quite a variety. And you've presumably arranged all of that yourself as well, and yeah, yeah. I, I, I that's one of my favourite things about music is is building arrangements and, and layering, and um, yeah, I've had a good time over the last couple of years, sort of building these tracks up sort of relearning the ropes as well when it comes to songwriting the, the whole process yeah. of going from a, a, a recording on your iphone to a finished finished song that's so good because you have released music before as well haven't you but they're more kind of like composed pieces of piano music and that that kind of thing so was this kind of like right i want to try something completely different now yeah so i wanted to get back to you know sort of proper songs um i've been doing quite a lot of instrumental music and that kind of came out of before I did YouTube, I was doing a bit of commercial music, you know, library mm. music, writing for TV and stuff. And 
I I kind of got a bit too used, I think, to writing for other people's briefs. And then I started the last couple of years have seen me trying to recapture my voice as an artist and and not try and um fit what I'm I think people are expecting to hear, just go with what I, I want to do. Yeah, no, totally. No, I think that's so good. I think it's so important to have some kind of creative project going on in your life at yeah. any point. I think as particularly if you're a because quite often as a musician you can be working on other people's projects and it's it although you're kind of creatively involved it's not your kind of definitely it's not your kind of baby you know yeah and um, like you know no one really gets into music to to make music for other people's wants and needs yeah. they do it because they personally love creating their own music and we have to compromise if we want to have a career because you know often the way to get paid is to do something do something on other people's terms but i think i lost sight of why i originally loved music after having spent you know the best part of 10 years writing music and performing music for other yeah. people what, what is your process for writing those those songs do you do most of it at the piano are you kind of doing like lyrics for like or how, how, how does it work um so typically i start with some sort of piano based idea maybe it's like a simple chord progression um and i'll sort of try and pick out a melody over the top of it usually no lyrics just sort of mumbling nonsense um, to create the melody and my the test I've sort of come up with nowadays so to stop getting too in my own head is I w I'll sit down at the piano maybe just because I'm waiting for something else to happen like the coffee to brew or something and I'll fiddle around come up with something record a minute of it onto my phone and then two days later I'll come back and then you can actually hear it with the fresh ears that you need yeah. to know whether it's any good or not and if it is good I'll pursue it and develop it into a, a more fully fledged song. Fresh ears are so important. Definitely. I notice that with so many different things I do, whether that's recording or it's even like a video thing. If you watch it back and you haven't seen it for a little while, you notice completely different things yeah. that you didn't spot that first time. That's why I think you have to be really careful not to just like put stuff out really quickly, you know, because you have to just have a little bit of perspective to check that there's not something glaringly obvious that you've missed. Definitely. I, I think um, at least one pass with fresh eyes slash fresh ears is essential. Um you know, you, you don't want to do it too often because, if, you know, you'll always find something that will prevent you yeah. from ever releasing anything. But, um, yeah, it, it just gives you that insight into what an, an, another person, an audience member might see in it rather than yourself. So good. Yeah. No, I think it's so important. Oh, well done doing that. That's amazing. I can't wait to hear it. When did you say it's going to be coming out? Um, it should be coming out around May or June this year. It's, it's still a little up in the air, but um, that's the target. And you, are you completely self-releasing that? Is that a, Yeah, it's been self-released. Um, you know, it's the first time I've released something like this since I had the YouTube audience. So it's going to be great to sort of um, share it with all of them. And um, yeah, hopefully it's the beginning of, of something, something new, really. Yeah, I can't wait to see where it goes. Are you, are you documenting any of it for your YouTube channel as well? You yeah, kind of so that? I... Um, Vlogs and stuff. I, yeah, I, I will not only, not only have I filmed parts of the recording process and I'll be showing that, but... I'm going to do a few videos sort of looking into the approach I took and, and how, for example, I took it from demo to finished track, that sort of thing. That's so interesting. Yeah, I'm so into those things where you actually see something develop over time. Mm. I think that's one of the reasons uh, you, you mentioned earlier before we started recording that you got into Twitch. Yeah. I don't know. Did you, did you watch any of those music production Twitch streams? Um, over, like, I'm lockdown? familiar with the ones you mean. I know that um, Jacob Collier does these, these amazing ones where he yeah. opens up his ridiculously massive project he's got Logic and project, yeah. you can see and i think it's such a valuable learning process to see you know the ingredients and that goes it goes into a finished thing 
there's this dance music producer that I got really into over the lockdown when it kind of everyone was streaming and he would just open up a blank logic project but stream the whole mm. process in about and he did the whole track in like five hours and what you learn watching someone work yeah. compared to someone talking about what they've just yeah. actually to see them in the moment is just like is you don't really see that because people don't often want to like reveal that yeah or, yeah because yeah. so it's quite exposing curtain. isn't it it's, exp it, it, it's exposing and um I, I think the thing I would be concerned with is I think it's important to be able to f to go through the entire process, finish something, and then be like, I learned things, but this finished product, it maybe isn't up to scratch, and then be able to just sort of discard it. Um, yeah. But if you're streaming it live, then you kind of have to, like, you're, <laughs> it's, it's going out regardless of whether yeah. it's any good. No, totally. No, I can't wait to hear that. Let's go back to your um, your journey. So what kind of happened after BIM? What was kind of your next move after you left there and you kind of made all these contacts? What did you go on to do? So... I arrived at BIM with these ideas of being some sort of songwriter or in a band or something, um, something music. I didn't particularly know how or what that would be. Um, but over the course of my time at BIM, I wound, I wound up picking up work. Um, I got a piano residency at one of the hotels in town, just playing background piano. And I joined a wedding band. So we started doing all these weddings every weekend. Yeah. And so by the end of my course, I already had like, you know, enough money to live on from music so i just kind of rolled with that yeah. and built that up um picked up some some students one-to-one -one students and uh diversified the gigging i was doing also i started doing some library music like i mentioned um you know writing for screen and tv that sort of thing um sort of anything anyone who would have me really i was i was doing that but yeah um, it all changed um about five years ago when i decided to start the YouTube channel, really, and that, and that's when my career sort of pivoted away from the world of of performing function music and that sort of thing, and into this more sort of educational space. Yeah, I'd love. I, I'm I'm so excited to ask you about this because I, you're for everyone listening. If you haven't seen David's videos, you you're probably. <laughs> I don't know if you could have ever been on YouTube, really, because if you've ever searched anything to do with music on YouTube, you would have come across. I mean, I've seen people. I've seen people using your videos, David, in like in like conservatoires, in co conferences, I've seen them doing it in lessons, like, and I just love, I love the fact that you've just started this thing and now it's absolutely massive. I was looking, you've had like, is it over a hundred million views? It's probably even more than that, isn't it, or something? I like, think it, yeah, I can't remember how many, I think it is over a hundred million views, yeah. The, the subscriber count is closing in for a million. It's probably going to hit a million, well, it will this year, I think. So yeah. we're, we're in for the big one. I think what's amazing about what you've done is that you've you've brought kind of music education at a really high level to people that otherwise maybe not always be able to access that you know people that maybe haven't gone to university to study music but can actually look really in depth at a song like you would at a university or at a really high level you know I think it's brilliant and I think the videos are so sort of engaging so what what made you kind of start it what was the whole what was sort of the thing that started it all off well I've always been a bit of a a theory nerd and music. I've always loved the sort of why does music yeah. work why does that song sound that way etc and even at BIM at university I had a reputation for sort of being the guy who would explain stuff if you didn't get it so that you'd, you'd sit through some sort of very dry lecture and then later people would be messaging me on, on, on the big Facebook group we had like oh what, what actually is this and um, yeah. I even like sort of tutored some of my you know classmates um, so I, I always had this kind of like personality of explaining theory explaining music and 
I didn't really think much of it. You know, I, I taught one to one. I, I, I had, you know, teaching music was part of my life, but it wasn't until I, I was introduced to a YouTube channel called Adam Neely, a, a, a yeah, bass player called Adam it. Neely. Um, and he was doing these videos, which were like, you know, he, at the beginning, he framed it like um, Vsauce, you know, that educational YouTube channel. Um, where they sort of try and make stuff as, as interesting as possible. But Adam was doing it in this musical way, like music and education, but interesting. And this, I was suddenly like, oh my goodness, this is fantastic. And maybe I could do this because I had experience right. making videos. I'd like dabbled with YouTube for years. Um, so I sort of took the plunge and um, just with the very first video I did, which was on uh, how the Beatles use modes in their music, it, it it started blowing up straight away. Did you did you already have experience of making videos, or was that very much something you had to kind of learn? So I um, had dabbled on YouTube for a long time. Like even when I was fourteen, I had a YouTube channel where I made like Lego stop motion videos. Okay, um, right. So, so I knew how to edit thing. videos. It, well, at least I knew how to open a video editor and and start doing stuff. Um, if you look back at those very early videos, they are very rough around the edges. Uh, right. It's amazing how forgiving YouTube can be of of presentation, but you know it, it took me a couple of years to to hone my style and 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 learn sort of the ropes properly. But the great thing about YouTube is you can sort of learn it on the job to a certain extent. So yeah, I've literally just started on YouTube, and it is a bit of a roller coaster. It's a proper. It, it's it's like the only time I've felt like I'm on an absolute adventure. <laughs> it's like I've got no idea where this is going to go. I've got kind of no idea i kind of have an idea what i'm doing i can kind of like you say use the video editing stuff and i can kind of craft the videos but it's like do, when you put a video out do you have any idea how it's going to go down because to me it's a bit like gambling you throw something out and you just have no idea how the algorithm's going to respond to it do you kind of like because obviously you're at a completely different level to where i am so is it does it still work like that when you get to your kind of level with that many views and subscribers i, I think gambling is is a good analogy I, i've described it as rolling the dice before because um yeah. You know, you you can have a fairly good idea if a video is is like going to appeal. Um, yeah. Like sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll come up with an idea, and I'll you know, obviously, I think it's all right to even attempt making it. I'll go through the whole process of making it, edit it up, and then as it's coming together, sometimes I think, ah, uh, this one, this one might be great. This one might mm. go down really well. Um, but for every time that I'm proven right, I'm I'm proven wrong as well. It's there is a real weird, not necessarily chance, but just like it's hard to judge what your audience might like and also what other wider audiences might like because when you upload it's not just going to your subscribers but um, Mm. if the algorithm thinks it's you know it's got some potential it will push it to other audiences who you wouldn't have even been considering when you first made it there might be something in it exactly yeah it might reach out to people like like some of my most viewed videos are about how um, certain songs um, sort of copy or rip off other songs and right. I'm targeting it primarily at my audience who are interested in music theory and, and how music works. But they sometimes reach to a wider audience of just casual, you know, music listeners who are intrigued by the fact that two songs have the same thing. Yeah, so it just goes more out to the public. Yeah, I see what you mean. The thing I find amazing about YouTube is that it's working all the time. Like mm. while we're sat here, someone is probably watching my video and yeah. a, a million people are probably watching yours. <laughs> but yeah, but you know what I mean? It's like it's happening all of the time yeah. and it's it's kind of... um, It, it is crazy. It's and a really the, weird thing. The fact it's just on a screen or on your phone or whatever com- completely abstracts the whole thing. Um, you know, I can have, you know, thousands, as you said, like thousands of people watching probably right now 
and it, and I doesn't that doesn't say anything. I I can't really grab, get my head around that. But no. then I can be out on the street and bump into one person who recognizes me, and it, and I'm like I'm like blown away by the fact that this person is so enthusiastic about these videos these I make. Videos, yeah. And it, and it has that real world impact. So it is it's so easy to forget that this this is all real people. These numbers are are real people, and you know you know nowadays if I if one of my videos got let's say twenty thousand views. Um, I'd probably say, oh, that that didn't go very well. But twenty thousand people feels the O2 in London, the, the largest yeah. venue in the UK. Like, that's a lot of yeah. people still. Hundred percent, yeah, it's a lot of people. And I, I, yeah, I think it's such an interesting platform. Like, do you use YouTube as a as a kind of viewer as well? Is it your kind of go to video watching platform? Yeah, so I watch a lot of YouTube, and I have for a long time. Um, like when I when I. Um, was at uni actually I got really obsessed with the sort of educational space of YouTube not just yeah. music but history and geography and science and all sorts of aspects of, of of you know that sort of thing and I think that actually helped a lot when I when I came to making YouTube videos I was very sort of literate in how these videos are meant to work yeah because you'd spent so long on the platform yeah. knowing how it works and like the whole thing like you you see all these videos online about you know, it's all about the thumbnail and it's all about the title and all of these different things. To what extent do you think that's true? And and do you think actually just a really great video has got kind of legs on its own? Um, unfortunately, the title and thumbnail are incredibly important. Um, they're, they're like a bottleneck because you could have the greatest video ever. But if mm. you gave it a rubbish title and a rubbish thumbnail, no one would ever realize that. And most importantly, the algorithm would never realize that because you you need that thumbnail and title to get people through the door. And once they're on the other side of that door, then they can work out whether the video is good. And the algorithm, you know, it is in charge of working out what videos are good and what videos are bad and pushing the good videos to the to the audiences. But it can't watch the video because it's an algorithm. It's, you know, it, it, it can't do that. But it can look at all of the various different parameters it has for engagement yeah. how long did you watch how long how many times did it have to present the thumbnail to you before you clicked did you scroll past it or what point in the video did you hit like so many things you're not thinking about and it's built a massive profile on you cross-referencing every video you watch and putting you in a box along with other people like you and it's like oh this person from box a watched this video to pretty much the end and left a comment that means it's likely that this other person in box a will like it as well yeah. It will feed it to them. If if that person likes it, then it's got even more positive feedback and, and the snowball effect can begin. It's so fascinating, yeah. I think it I think it's so interesting. And what I didn't realise before I started is that you can actually change the thumbnail and the title after you've uploaded the video. Yes, and that can be very helpful sometimes. Do you sometimes go in and change that if you see that a video is underperforming? Yeah, and it can make a really big difference. Um if I I have done it on various occasions where, you know, a day or two into um, the release, if it's not performing as well as I thought it might, a new thumbnail, a new title can completely change the outcome. But I think you kind of have to get in there in the first few days because yeah. after the first few days, the algorithm is going to just going to be like, yeah, this video is not good. No, everyone right. I try and show it to doesn't want to watch it, so I'm just going to dump it. So if you change the thumbnail like a year later, it's quite unlikely that it's going to suddenly... Um, pick up again it's interesting though isn't it god all these little little tricks and stuff what is your what is your process for putting together one of those videos because you actually did make a video i think a year or something ago about 
how you how you put together your videos. But I, just in case anyone hasn't seen that, I think people will be absolutely fascinated to know how you put together these kind of, I'd kind of describe them as, are they like video essays? Would you describe them like that? Or are they, do you kind of have a different way of describing them? I think that they're loosely in that category. Um, they're ultimately sort of 10 to 15 minute mini lectures where I'm, I'm talking about a particular thing in music theory like maybe songs that use and then it'll be like a particular chord progression or a particular time signature like just one small aspect of music and then i'll try and show you as many examples as i can because that's the thing that i really um think is important when teaching music theory is getting the examples in there so you actually yeah. hear this stuff in practice so, so often at university they talk for two hours about modes and never play you one piece of music. And they thought, yeah. what is this? It's just so dry yeah. and boring crazy. and the complete opposite of what music's meant to be. I found that crazy when I was doing, um, I remember when I was doing my A-level music, which I didn't really get on with at all. But um, we had to do these uh, like Bach chorales. Mm. But the thing that I found amazing about the whole thing, which so everyone listening, these are where you kind of harmonize like a hymn-like tune in four parts. The thing I found amazing was that no one would ever play what you'd done. Yeah, true. Yeah. So you'd like spend the whole day writing this kind of like dots on a page, but you'd never hear it, hear it. It was like mad. Yeah, it's it's over academicized. Um, it's like it's become like it's generations of music teachers teaching music teachers teaching music teachers, and all kind of forgetting why we're teaching music in the first place. Which I think it, when that's you when a, idea, a yeah. musician teaches you, someone who was worked in the industry and and been an artist, that's when you get to real music education i think because they're not just regurgitating what their teacher told them and told their teacher that's so true but going back to what you were saying about how i make my videos all of the ideas start as some google doc that i made probably when i'd be walking around listening to a song and i thought oh that's an interesting thing that just happened i'll make a note of it and then if i find another enough similar things to that and they sort of become a little list i will decide to make that into a video then I'll flesh it out into a full script. Right. Um, and then depending on the video, I'll either do it all as voiceover or do some to camera, um, edit it up, transcribe any sheet music I need, um, if I need that for examples. And then finally, the all important thumbnail and, and title, which sometimes I'll spend hours on just like redesigning and re redesigning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, your thumbnails are absolutely amazing. The way that I love the way you have the artist and like the kind of gradient behind and then mm. something music. I think they're really beautiful. Thank you. Um, and they do like package it up so well. One thing I, w I wanted to ask you was how you find all these different examples. So, for example, if you're doing a, I don't know, like a, a song, like a video all about songs that use the Aeolian mode or something like that. How do you find those songs that do all of that? Are these just like big songs you've picked up on over time or is there a website you go to that's got all these things so um all of my video ideas begin from me hearing something on a song so i'm always going to start with at least one example right. um and then i will the first thing i will do is just scour my memory for other songs that might have that so if it was for example songs in seven four time um, mm. I might off the top of my head be able to be like, oh yeah, Money, Pink Floyd, and yeah. Salisbury Hill, Peter Gabriel. And then I might be like, oh, I can't, I know there's more, but I can't think of them. And then it's a case of being a bit of a, um, like an online sleuth and just trying to find anywhere that people have also talked about this at some point. So I mm. might search old message boards or Reddit threads. Sometimes on Spotify, someone's made a playlist where it's like songs in 7-4. Um, yeah. But then it's not even as simple as that because then half the time when you're on a message board or one of these playlists, 
the examples aren't of what they think they are. So right. this playlist of songs that are supposedly in 7.4, half of them won't be in 7.4. So yeah. you've got to really be like an investigator and get to the bottom of it. Find all, I find all the best examples I can um, and then make the video. And then inevitably what will happen is 10 minutes after releasing the video, the top comment will be like, well, why didn't you mention this example? And I'm like, yeah, why didn't I mention that example? It's a perfect example. Hi, it's Adam here. I just want to quickly interrupt the podcast to ask you a very small favour. If you're getting lots of value from these conversations and want to stay up to date with all our latest episodes, please do subscribe to The Keys Coach wherever you get your podcasts. This means that you can continue to hear these great conversations and you'll be notified each time a new episode comes out. And if you're feeling even more generous, please do consider leaving us a review. This helps others to discover the podcast and join this community. Thank you so much for your support. Hit that subscribe button. Let's get back to the conversation. Do you have like an idea of how long it takes you to put a whole video together? Is that, do you have a, like, what's the timeline for that? So assuming it's a topic which I already know a good amount about, um, I could probably make a video on average from beginning to end in four to five working days. Um, right. And that would be like the whole day working. In practice, it, I don't work like that. I, I, I'll have various videos on the go at once mm. and it's sort of like spinning plates. Like I'll spend an afternoon working on that thing and then spend another afternoon working on that. And then yeah. the next morning I'll be doing something else. But I have got, I've definitely got more efficient over the years of, uh, of making them. In the early days, it would take me about two weeks to make one video. And now it's definitely yeah. at least half of that. That's amazing. So is this kind of completely full, t apart from your kind of creative project, which we were talking about earlier, is this your kind of full-time thing now? Yeah, so it took a while for me to, to sort of take the plunge. Um, and not because the, the sort of the income wasn't there, because once the channel got going, you know, the, the the revenue from the various sources of revenue came in and and made it very much a viable thing to sustain. But um, I think you know I, I really enjoyed what I was doing before, like playing with my band at events and stuff, and uh, teaching real world. And um, I didn't didn't necessarily want to give that up, so I did try and juggle it for a while. But it soon became clear that I wasn't going to be able to. To do both you kind of have to go all in yeah. yeah and and i you know i do really love doing the youtube stuff it is ultimately my dream job so i i it was kind of obvious which one had to had to go but I, you know the band i was in I, I was in for 10 years so it was quite a big part of my life so it, it took me a while to come to that conclusion but you know i i still every now and then um we'll do a gig with them just kind of for for the, for fun. the fun of it yeah no, it's very much the sort of stage I'm at with this whole kind of project. It's you, you kind of get to a stage where you're like, right, am I like doing this or am I doing this? Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's like, it's that kind of thing, you know. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating. Well, look, congratulations on it all. I did want to ask you about um, copyright. Yeah, definitely. Because I know that's such a huge thing mm. on YouTube and the whole thing around fair use. And obviously a lot of your videos rely so heavily on using other people's music to, to sort of get across your point. So... Mm. What is your view on YouTube copyright? How does it work for you? So it took me a long time to learn the ropes and it's kind of intentionally made vague by YouTube. Yeah. Um, and it is also, it is weighted in favour of the copyright holders. Um, and that's kind of, it goes back to the history of YouTube. You know, history was, uh, sorry, YouTube was almost sued out of existence by Viacom and that um, in sort of, I think it was like 2007 because of all of oh, the copyrighted material being used. And right, then they okay. invented this content ID system where it uses AI to automatically detect 
Um, yeah, it's basically like Shazam, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's the same sort of tech, yeah. and and YouTube couldn't exist without it because there's so many uploads, it wouldn't be able to um, like manually go through them all. Um, and basically, what you have to do, you you upload the the video, and if you've used more than say seven seconds of a song, it will automatically detect that. Um, you could, you know, sometimes if I really don't need more than seven seconds. I could save myself a lot of headaches by using sub seven second clips and I might just about get away with flying under the radar, you know, and, and not get any, yeah. any copyright issues. But, you know, more likely than not, I want to play more than seven seconds because it's hard to really hear what's yeah, going on in a piece of music if you don't have a long enough clip. So what you have to do is you get this automatic demonetization, which happens before, it happens when you upload the video, but before you publish it. So it's yeah. not like you have to fight this battle once the video is published. So you get it online, and then you can file counterclaims against these copyright things, um, claiming, in my case, fair use. Um, right. Okay. And the thing is, fair use is a very fluffy concept. It's it's not really there's not enough legal precedent to really say what is and isn't fair use when it comes to YouTube videos. But um, generally speaking. From the people I've talked to, if it's about 10 to 20 seconds of music and it's presented directly next to direct commentary about about that music, then that is fair use because you're using it um, as an example in an educational context. The key is, like, is it transformative? So a song is made to listen to for leisure, but this 20-second clip in my video, someone isn't listening to that for leisure. They're using it as an educational tool, and that's yeah, transformed yeah, yeah. its use so you make this argument to them, you file the, the dispute, and hopefully they will just accept that, um, yeah, it is fair use, or more likely what will happen is they will just choose not to respond. And if 30 days pass, then you it, it, you win, you know, um, and, right. it's, and you're all good. But every now and then I do get a video where I file my dispute and then they come back and say, no, it's not fair use. And then I have the option to appeal and say no yeah it is fair use and the dan this is where you enter the danger zone because if they then come back once again and say no it's not fair use then they will give you a copyright strike and if your channel gets three copyright strikes concurrently then it will be suspended which for someone who makes their living off of the off youtube is quite scary, it's quite scary yeah, yeah. It's also because I've looked into all that stuff. It's quite hard to find it out as well. It's exactly like you say. It's very vague. I, you know, about it all. It almost sounds like a cliche, but I found out about it from another YouTuber who found out about it from another YouTuber. It's like it came down the grapevine. Yeah. And I literally, yeah. uh, it, I can I can say his name, but Charles Cornell, who you may know. Um, he's yeah. another YouTube um, sort of piano player, and I noticed that he used a lot of clips in his videos, and I just sort of literally reached out to him and said. Um, hey, like, how are you? How are you doing this? Like, how are you getting away with yeah. copyright? And he was so kind. He he said, "Oh, let's go on Zoom," and he just explained to me like, "This is how I file my copyright claims." And I use this. I, he had this sort of text he uses as the justification, which had been um, sort of put together for him by a, another YouTuber. And um, he sort wow. of just sort of he brought me into the magic circle. Into so the to fold, speak. yeah. Would the same thing apply if you were playing the songs on piano rather than using recorded examples? So what would happen then is YouTube would clock it as a cover. Um, years ago, the content ID system wasn't sophisticated enough to recognize a cover 
It is now. Um, but YouTube can sometimes be quite lenient with covers because they will still give you a portion of the ad revenue. They won't take all of it away. Um, yeah. They won't tell you what that portion is, but you get a portion. Right, I see. See, the content ID system, if I was to sit down and play at the piano, it would be able to recognize what song I was playing. Yeah, but so if you're singing it, 100%, because it will hear the lyrics, it will hear, it will hear the outline of the melody. Yeah. Uh, piano, say I was playing um, Bohemian Rhapsody, which has a piano part in it, and especially if I was playing it in the original key, that would be yeah. close enough to the original record that it would be like, yeah, that's Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, wow. If you had changed the key and also quite heavily modified the parts, it might take it a while to realize, and, and you might also get away with it, but um, it's getting cleverer all the time. Oh, man. Wow. That's absolutely unbelievable. I, I had no idea about that. That's crazy. Whoever's built that technology that it can recognize, that's crazy. And it's just, like you say, it's just going to go further and further, isn't it? Like Yeah, I, I think the thing that has really um, given a massive boost to loads of stuff in, in the sort of music sector and video sector is, is this AI splitting that you can do. Yeah, uh, where you can separate the separate the stems out because what it can do is it it can take your performance, um, separate out separate out the vocal from everything else, and then yeah. sort of use like an auto tune sort of thing to average out the um, tune, and, and then from that it can be like okay, so this I can kind of see the rough outline of the melody here. I can hear the words because you know um, voice to text has all, has been part of YouTube for years. That's how the subtitles happen, um, and from that it can just it can work it out. Where do you where do you kind of think it's all going? Because obviously, if you said to someone, I don't know, ten years ago, I'm a YouTuber, they would have kind of looked at you like you were absolutely mad. <laughs> Whereas now, I think it's it's definitely more of a a thing that actually, I think if if someone who you know didn't even watch YouTube, they might be like, all right, yeah, I've, I know kind of what that is. Where where do you think this is all going in terms of the whole creator economy? I think it's funny that you say it because there's definitely like a generational divide. Where if I say to someone who is fifty years old or you know, fifty or older that I'm a YouTuber, they they won't get it. They won't. They like how can you? What? How can that be a yeah. job? But if you say it to someone below that age, the, the younger you get, the more and more enthusiastic they'll be about the fact that you're a YouTuber. And if you tell a child you're a YouTuber, they'll think you're a rock star. Uh, I I met a friend's ten um, year old son um, last year. Never met him before. He's never seen my YouTube videos, but the moment he found out I'm a YouTuber, he wanted this photo taken with me. Like yeah. to, to kids, YouTubers are, are rock stars, and um, it's just going to keep going that way. I think that the lines between quote-unquote traditional celebrity and mm. YouTube celebrity or influencer will, will all blur. And yeah. in 50 years' time, YouTube will, will just be um, another streaming network, effectively. But unlike things like Netflix where they have to commission their own content, YouTube can just let people make the content and split the spoils with them. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, yeah. I think it's so interesting where it's all going. And I think, I wonder if there's, I wonder if YouTube's going to remain being, because YouTube has survived through it all, hasn't it? It's yeah. like, if you look, like MySpace has come and gone, Tumblr, all these different random things that have cropped up. But YouTube's like this massive, like sort of, juggernaut that just hasn't changed and is still the biggest player i don't know what do you what do you think i, I think it's so you, we had there was a bit of a perfect storm at the beginning where right you know when youtube started about 2005 there was various different platforms um sort of vying for the top spot youtube was one of the biggest if not the biggest but not by a big margin at all yeah um then google 
who had their Google video at the time, which was like basically Google images, but for video, they they obviously realized, okay, we need some sort of like video arm to Google, bought YouTube, and um, with the power of Google, it has you know managed to become the lead, the, the industry leader. But I think it, YouTube has managed to pass a few like, um, like evolutionary tests that it's competitors haven't so for example going back to what i said about copyright when youtube was almost sued out of existence by all of the big media companies for using copyrighted material google could invest millions and millions of dollars into making this content id system that fixed the problem any other platform would have gone bankrupt they wouldn't have had the funds to do Uh, it and it's going to happen with tiktok so tiktok unless they can sort out their copyright issues like recently taylor swift's music was all taken off because they couldn't sort out the copyright issues if they can't cross that bridge they will die. And if they yeah. can, then they might be able to start, you know, challenging YouTube for its throne. I can't stand TikTok. Like I mean, if I like <laughs> the the like I YouTube is basically what I go to each night. When I come in and I put on my TV, I like I'll put YouTube on, on the TV. I like very rarely will watch Netflix or anything. And I think it's because I got so into it in the lockdown and I got really into subscribing to channels and liking videos because then it tells the algorithm what you want. And now whenever I open up YouTube, it's like, oh my God, where do I start? It's like all these videos I just want to watch. Yeah, yeah. And nowhere else is like that. You go on TikTok and it's like, it's like walking into a casino. It's all like dings and bells <laughs> and lights. Sensory overload, yeah. Yeah, sensory overload. And Instagram's kind of okay, but I just I just feel like YouTube is is the one really and there's a reason why it's like the second biggest search engine yeah isn't it yeah Yeah. and i think um the comparison i think of is um youtube is is filling the role of of television where you yeah you have various different channels you can watch and you can choose um tiktok is more like the radio where people just tend to just stick it on in the background and get served up stuff and like stuff Stuff kind of gets thrown at you and sometimes it's adverts and sometimes it's interviews and sometimes it's music and and People just kind of want it there as a companion, but it's not something you engage with on a sort of um, higher level. No, or build a yeah, build a relationship with. Because yeah. I think if I think about all the all the um, YouTubers I really like and I watch, it's because I feel like a relationship with them, and they don't know who I am, but they yeah. it's because you get that kind of that kind of closeness. I get that with podcasts as well, actually. Yeah. As well. I think it's YouTube and podcasts are the deepest kind of forms of content that you consume, where you actually build a relationship with those people definitely and, and they, they feel both of those mediums particularly podcasts feel quite transparent they, they obviously aren't because there is editing involved but compared mm. to like a television show or something you you're getting quite a big dose of that person's genuine um personality and and you yeah. know you, you it's still not the same as knowing them in real life because they're mm. also presenting the best version of themselves but you you'll almost feel like you're listening to, to a friend speak rather than yeah, um, a presenter. I wonder if there's ever going to be some sort of um, union for like YouTubers, because it's like, do you know what I mean? There's like yeah. a because it's it's it, in the same way that you get unions in all other kind of uh, kind of workplaces. I just it seems to me that it's is it? Would you say it's unregulated? I mean, it is unregulated, isn't it? I guess. Um, it depends. So the um aspect of it which is regulated is um advertising. So it it still falls under each country's particular advertising regulations yeah Um, so for example in the uk you cannot present uh sponsored material without disclosing it so i have to say at the beginning of my video this video is sponsored by such and such i cannot not do that but i've had um i won't say the name but i've had a a big american company ask me not to do that 
and because they don't they didn't want people to think it's an ad they wanted it to be like product placement and i said oh, i can't do that in the uk it's against the law oh, and I they see. just but weren't aware of, US, of this yeah. like regulation and there was actually a youtuber called um tom scar who about 15 years ago got in trouble for doing an oreo advert without actually telling people it was an oreo advert i knew you were going to say that i met the person that was directing oh, that really? ad so I, i've actually met the person that caused this whole <laughs> this whole thing yeah it was an oreo ad yeah exactly and yeah. that was oh, one man. of the first examples where you know because youtube is so new we, we've got to kind of test all of these things out to see, yeah. to see what's going to happen God, so good. Well, like, I want your, you know, I love your YouTube videos. I know, and I, I work at a conservatoire um, called Trinity and they, I know all the students there use your videos. And like, I think, I think that's the really interesting thing. You probably have no idea sort of where it's, where it's sort of all being used. And that's where it's so exciting. Yeah, I have a, a friend of mine is a teacher uh, at a high school teaching music. And from mm. now and then he'll send me like some resource pack he's been prepared or a lesson plan that some other teacher yeah. um, had prepared and be like, oh, look, you're here. You're yeah, in this textbook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Let's talk. Let's go back to talking about the piano. Um, when you have like a day off and you're well, a day off amongst all your editing and scripting and stuff. What do you play on the piano? What's your kind of go-to thing? What do you What do you practice? So I have always enjoyed um, improvising and composing on the instrument. Right. I, I very rarely learn actual songs the only reason i ever actually really learn songs is if i'm going to perform them um yeah so like you know i remember when i first started playing piano and i was talking to someone at school who who um also played and they were like oh what songs do you know and i, and I didn't really know songs i just kind of wrote my own things and so if i sit down I, I would just start improvising um slash writing like for me it's kind of the same thing um okay and um sometimes i do it just for just for fun and, and just to sort of relax. Um, and sometimes I might do it because I'm actively trying to write something which I will develop into a fully-fledged piece of music. How do you kind of avoid... I think one of the things people struggle with, and particularly since I've been doing these like little tutorial videos, people have been commenting saying, how do I get out of playing the same familiar shapes? And I think that's really interesting because quite often when you sit down at the piano, it's quite easy to go to the same thing you play or the same kinds of things you play. So have you got any kind of techniques to get out of that? Yeah, so I think everybody, no matter how hard you try, has their mannerisms. Much like how, you know, when you speak, there's certain expressions and stuff you come back to. And yeah. um, and you can't completely get rid of that. Uh, and if anything, you might not want to because it's, it's your voice. That's you. Mm. But the, what, it is true that you can sometimes just kind of keep rewriting the same piece of music because you just keep going back to the same chords and the same order the same and the same stuff. spacing. Yeah. Same voicing. So... What I do, this is this is where theory genuinely actually comes into my process because usually when I'm writing, I'm not thinking actively about theory. But when I want to go somewhere new and try something else, I'll, I'll look at what I have been doing, saying like, oh, I've been writing a lot in like the Mixolydian scale or like in 4-4 yeah. four, four time. Um, or even something a bit more basic, like, oh, I've been writing a lot at like fast tempos um, and do the polar opposite. So if I've been writing right. in... in in Mixolydian, I'll try. I'll be like, okay, I want to write Phrygian, like something yeah. dark and minor. And I've been writing a four-four. Let's write a three-four, and let's write at a slow tempo, and just yeah. force yourself into a different area. Um, and you suddenly start bringing out different ideas because you've just forced yourself into that sort of restraint. And do you actually write physically write any of this down, or is it just kind of like in a DAW, or is it just like MP3s on your phone or something? So yeah, my 
primary way of, of kind of recording it or writing it down is a voice memo on my iPhone. That's where they yeah. all start. Um, I will rarely transcribe my own music into notation. I only really do that if I'm gonna if I have to give it to another musician if they, they okay. if they need if there's a part I want them to record that sort of thing. Um, and even then, like my music, it's only ever ninety percent composed, and the last ten percent is still flexible. There's like a element of improvisation there. Yeah. Where there's like a space. I I kind of see it in my head like we have the first minute, and that's a fairly fairly set structure but then the second minute i know the vibe i'm going to go for and the general direction and the motif but i don't really know on this occasion how i'm going to spin it out it could be different each time yeah it's just a case of varying it and 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 yeah i mean it's it's something i find find really hard as well but i love that idea of looking at what you've done before and then trying to do the opposite because i think that is a really easy way of kind of just breaking out of those breaking out of those molds yeah and you want like if you're ever going to release your music as well, you want each piece to have, uh, each song to have its own character. You want people to hear it and mm. be like, oh, it's that one. It, each one to have its own sort of world. Um, I think about um, the Beatles, for example, particularly later in their career, like on an album like Revolver, where every song is like in a different world yeah. and they're all doing different musical concepts and the instrumentation's totally wild and different. And, um, that's part of what made them so great is that they just kept thinking, okay, what can we do differently? Yeah, I know you're such a you're a huge fan of the Beatles, aren't you? I've seen <laughs> seen some of your videos on the Beatles. I think it's because um, I I've always kind of been into them, but like I wouldn't say like I like no more than any of the other kind of iconic kind of greats. What is it about the Beatles like that you just absolutely love? And what is it that just draws you to them? Uh, well, they were very much like my first love in music. Um, yeah, when I got my first MP3 player uh, when I was about twelve, it was literally just the all of the beatles and then their solo albums that was the only thing i had on there um i was so obsessed um and that love has has stuck with me you know through through the years as i've learned that other music exists the beatles have still stayed there as a constant and um i you know for me it's i you know the beginning the early stuff that's great but when the beatles were really special was around sort of 66 Mm. 67 68 where they just made music which was dripping in, in, in character and personality and to this day still hasn't been replicated like there, there is no other song that sounds like strawberry fields forever it's in a yeah a genre of its own it's so interesting as well i did a um i did an amazon christmas advert this year i, I do a lot i do quite a bit of music for adverts and i recorded the the amazon christmas advert which was a, the beatles song in my life oh yeah 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 what was so funny about it was that so many people who were of that age when the beatles were growing up they like really connected with that mm. song. Like so many people were talking about this kind of advert and I hadn't really appreciated the kind of, the, the kind of nostalgia element of it as, a, as well for a lot of people. I mean, like they're incredible musicians as well, but just the kind of nostalgia piece I hadn't really kind of, I hadn't really kind of considered, but yeah, I, think, I, think, I definitely need to get more into the Beatles. I think we're in a crossover period where half of the people who love the Beatles love them because they were there. They, they, they grew yeah. up with it. Um, and for them, they've got this nostalgia element. But the other half are people whose parents or grandparents introduced them to the Beatles along the mm, way. And, that's another. And they got into them just on the pure merit of the music. And, and also the, the story. The, the, the story of the Beatles is um, amazing within itself. Like four working class lads um, who just put a little band together, started playing a bunch of Buddy Holly covers, and then conquered the world. And it's just yeah. amazing. 
So good. So good. So what kind of stuff do you have in store for the future? Like where, you know, obviously you're, you're, you've got so much ahead of you. Where, where do you see your music going? What would you like to do? Are you still going to be producing videos? What's the, where, where's all this going? So I'm going to continue making the videos for as long as I can, really. Um, yeah. I, I've still got so many topics um, to discuss. I've, I've always had this list on Google Docs of, of video topic ideas. And right. it's never emptied. Like, you know, as I've gone through the years making them, I'll, faster than I can make them, I'll come up with new ideas. So at the very least, I've got to get to the bottom of that list. Um, but also, in, in the next few years, I like the idea of doing more real-world stuff. I like the idea of, of playing my music live, um, yeah. which is something that I've, I've not done in a, in a very long time. So that, that would be amazing. That's exciting. I can't wait to see that. Maybe touring this new, touring this new exactly, EP. Exactly, yeah, yeah. That sounds really, really fun. Yeah. Well, Dave, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you today. I'm like, thank you so much for doing this. And um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoy your videos and I can't wait to hear your new EP. I think it's going to be brilliant. Thank so you. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. If people want to go and check out your music, whereabouts can they kind of do that? Um, so they can find my music on most streaming platforms like Spotify. Um, but the best place to start is probably on my YouTube channel, which is David Bennett Piano. Brilliant. Amazing. Thanks so much, David. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much to David for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed that conversation. I've put a link to David's YouTube channel in the episode description. So do go and check out all his videos. They are amazing. I'm also really looking forward to hearing that new EP, which is coming out later this year. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with another episode. But until then, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and I'll see you in the next one. Cheers. <laughs>